Hi friends, I want to introduce you to my friend Andrew Olson. I got to know Andrew because I was working at a school when he was a student. He has since gone off to college, come back with a degree, is pursuing his life and his vocation, and he happened to be home during the summer, and so I thought it was a great opportunity to interview him about all things life, education, creative work, and his faith journey. Demographically, he would be considered a millennial, so he's of that particular generation. But what I appreciate most about Andrew is that he's a really thoughtful person, somebody that is critically engaged with life and with faith and all of those things. And so gaining wisdom from this younger generation for me just felt like uh, such a gift. I'm also releasing this at this time because in November, in just a couple months, we're going to have a special guest at Spark, Julie Lithcott Hames. Uh, she's written a bestseller entitled How to Raise an Adult. She's also written another beautiful memoir entitled Real American. Uh, it's about growing up biracial in America. And she's going to be coming, and we've asked her to speak on her first book, which is How to Raise an Adult. And given that Andrew has thought very much about adulting and what that means, this feels like a good precursor to that conversation that we're going to be having with Julie come November. So for all of you listening, especially if you're a younger generation or a parent, uh, part of a family with younger people that you are raising, and perhaps you're wrestling with some of these questions, I hope that this interview and conversation with Andrew provides for you some wisdom, some insight, some perspective, and most of all, some peace. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Andrew Olson. I wanted to meet with you and talk with you because you're somebody who is not only a part of our community who we love and we cherish, but you're also a very thoughtful um, engager with um, kind of your faith development, your cultural development, things that are going on sociopolitically. And I really kind of want to learn about it from through your lens um, as somebody who is maybe... Um, barely one generation in front of you. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'm, so for me, it is, I want to hear a little bit about your story, your upbringing, the things that you liked, appreciated about your spiritual upbringing and your engagement with the world, things that you really didn't like, things that you didn't appreciate, things that were maybe even damaging or harmful. Um, and I'm thinking that some in our audience are raising kids in this particular day and age, and you're that generation in front of them. And I think hearing it from your perspective would be really insightful. And then as somebody who has just graduated college, I really want to hear a little bit more about how you as somebody, uh, well, I'll even ask you, do you even consider yourself a Christian? How, how do you identify as, in your faith journey? Um, what does that have to do with our uh, current age, stage, crisis that we find ourselves in? How do you, how do you as a young person kind of process all that? Okay, so go. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, well, well welcome. Uh, obviously, as you said, I'm Andrew Olson. Um, I'm happy to share my thoughts as best I can on, on any of those. Uh, that was quite, quite the buildup. Um, hopefully, these answers will be as, as thoughtful and, and nuanced as you're, you're looking for, but we'll do our best. Well, let me start. Just uh, give us a little background. Uh, g tell us a little bit about your upbringing um, and include a little bit of your spiritual journey. Uh, you said to me earlier that you are very fluent in Christian ease. So um, that tells us a little bit about your... Sure. Your um, so, I mean, I've got the kind of classic, I grew up in the church kind of story, both my parents. Uh, 
uh, are Christian. Uh, we grew up uh, at a church called uh, Menlo Park Presbyterian. It's a fairly large church in, in Menlo Park. Um, and so I grew up with the Noah books. I grew up with, you know, the felt board and um, that just kind of being the baseline assumption of how I was taught to understanding the world, you know, uh, the existence of a deity, you know, Christ dying for our sins. Um, and so kind of accepted that as, as kind of my faith tradition. I mean, I think the earliest time I can remember, uh, like asking Jesus into my heart was probably around five or six. Uh, and they'd just been like the sinner's prayer sermon. Uh, and I was in a hallway and I, I think I had like just put silly putty in my uncle's hair like the previous day. And so I was feeling pretty guilty. Um, and, you know, I was like, oh, well, like, Jesus forgives my sins. Like, I should, you know, get on this real quick and get rid of the silly putty incident. Um, you know, and I just stopped my mom in the hallway and, you know, asked what to do or whatever. Um, and and as I grew older, uh, I think particularly in high school, um, began to ask more serious questions uh, about what my faith looked like, about what uh, alternatives were, what were some possible problems. I, I went to public school for many years, uh, and so most of my friends weren't Christian. Um, I've actually, I actually, in high school, I found it, I, I liked the label Christian um, insofar as I felt it separated me uh, from my peers and at a period when I was like trying to figure out who I was, and I, w I wasn't that. I wasn't kind of the public school um, like all the things that you'll hear sermons about, like I didn't, you know, I didn't drink, I didn't do drugs, like I didn't skip class. Um, and so the Christianity at that point was associated primarily with moral behavior, with kind of um, meeting a certain sets of, of behavioral or, or normative guidelines. Um, then ended up transferring to the King's Academy, uh, where, I, where I met you, um, although the next part of the story doesn't necessarily to you. Um, but I think in the same way that I started to react against um, the flavor or, or um, lens of Christianity that the kings offered. Um, so struggling a little bit on how to summarize uh, that. Obviously, you can apply like labels like conservative. I think the part that troubled me most was kind of the uh, unquestioning, um, a kind of rose-tinted outlook to life. Um, like very, I guess, very not, like opposite of rose, I don't know, like blood-red glasses towards general culture, towards um, political establishment, um, but then rose-tinted glasses towards themselves. And I, uh, as all teenagers are, was uh, reacting against that. I chose then to go to uh, Westmont College, which is a Christian liberal arts school, um, Partially because I had been taught from a very young age that you're gonna have to you're gonna have to face big questions in life. What uh, what's the purpose of human life? What does human flourishing look like? What defines moral action? Uh, all kinds of political questions, um, and I wanted to find answers. Um, actually, within the community I grew up in, I, I felt. Uh, attached to the the church and and the ideals of it, at least the uh, compassion, hope for the world, redemption, um, community, embrace all of these kind of things that I associated with the best parts of the church. And so I went to Westmont, um, and I've had a great time, uh, particularly because I think it was very focused on questioning. There was a lot of space for that, even though most of the community comes from a very particular tradition. Um, kind of mostly kids of evangelicals, um, which shades the discussion. Um, 
anyway, that's a brief summary of, of how I uh, got to, to be on this podcast, I guess. And then uh, I went to Spark after meeting you and we listened to the podcast. Uh, and uh, here I am. So I'm curious through that you mentioned questioning as a big aspect of your development and your growth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the questions that emerges in my mind is many people, I think, question their faith as no longer relevant or seemingly insignificant or insufficient to answering those big questions about mm-hmm. politics and social issues and moral meaning and all that kind of stuff. Um, is that Would you say that that is true for you, um, that Christianity or the faith that you grew up in gave you some sort of moral framework, but it was no longer sufficient or it was inadequate or, or in some particular way, so you needed to pursue that? Or was it because Christianity gave you such a meaningful framework that you wanted to continue to pursue those questions within that framework. So, and I'm not even sure of the question that I'm asking. I hope some of that makes yeah, sense. I think, I think I hear a little bit of a question. Um, some people see faith as, as kind of being phased out by modernity. It's no longer right, relevant right. Um, or doesn't provide the answers or the framework necessary to deal with um, modern issues or how to live modern life or perhaps is now incongruent with uh, the realities of modernity. Um, right, and I would I would say that people that have had that experience go through what we're calling a deconstruction. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I used to believe that, but that just doesn't do it anymore, so I don't know if I believe that anymore. Yeah, so that's... I think one of the strengths in religion is actually providing meaning and answers to kind of the, the perennial questions mm-hmm. um, that you kind of... You've got kind of, you know, religion and its, you know, twin philosophy um, to try to make sense of the world. Um, you know, like I was having a discussion with my my mom the other day, um, and I'm a, I'm a political science, I was a political science major and a, and a biology major. Um, and science is wonderful. I love being in the lab. I'm all about scientific progress. I'm all about using data. Um, but but science does not provide moral guidance. Science um, doesn't tell you what to do with the information. It just gives you information. Um, and I actually, I, I felt strongly that one of the reasons I chose to go to a Christian college um, was I wanted to give the faith I grew up with a fighting chance. Um, could, it, could it provide answers that I found logically consistent, personally satisfying, and coherent with the reality I observed? Um, not because I felt it was outdated, but because you had to come up with something, and so we might as well, you know, put put through the crucible the the one I had the best, you know, best experiences of the be- the clearest idea of what it looked like. Yeah, wow. So, what would you attribute that to? I guess my question, in some ways, is perhaps too formulaic, but I'm thinking of um, so many parents these days who are going through their own deconstruction, going through their own challenges, and you seem to have held on to some core principles, some core ethics of your faith. And I'm just kind of curious what you would attribute that to. Is that is that because your church uh, experience or your family environment or the what was it that allowed you to avoid, I suppose, the tragedy of, oh, my gosh, I don't believe this anymore. And what the heck is wrong with religious people? Um, what, what would you say to that? On one hand, I think I have several times gone through the I'm not sure I believe X anymore mm-hmm. stage of thing. I think I often 
kind of sine wave into that and, and often find myself holding things fairly loosely. So I wouldn't say that I don't experience that. Hmm. Um, and I've, I think I've always been more disappointed, you know, when, when Christians do things I find horrifying. But I've, I've tended to live in Christians' communities, so it, it felt always more like an in-group critique, like I'm embarrassed like my cousin is doing something terrible my you know my my racist uncle is posting you know <laughs> terrible things about african americans on um by the way my uncles are wonderful people you know, <laughs> this um, is just an analogy <laughs> this is just an analogy um yeah i love them dearly um so i think i have there's a a layered answer to the question of why have i chosen to continue to identify and pursue christianity as a faith tradition um one is I have seen its positive impact in people's life. That's kind of like the, mm. the baseline. I know that the most examples I have seen of Christianity have been positive. Mm. Um, you know, they've been the generosity of my family and my parents, both of their finances and of their time, um, of the way it has forced them to view, in general, people with uh, with dignity, which isn't something that all Christian traditions have applied across the board. Um, but I've always been attracted to that, both of my parents and and mentors. The, you know, yes, people suck, but you know, there's they still have value. You know, I used to go read and you know hide in my room and read, and mom's like, you know, people may not be more interesting than books, but they're more valuable. Um, mm. you know, and I think things like that, oh, that, have... that one, that one's gonna, <laughs> that one's gonna work on me. <laughs> that one's gonna be hard. Okay. Thanks, um, thanks mom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, st- still struggle with that one uh, yeah, day, day yeah. to day. Um, and so I think I have had positive experiences and now that I'm thinking about it, maybe the one of the ways that I've kind of presented the framing or I understood is when Christians do things I disagree with, it's always been more of a you're misguided, like, you're a misguided cousin of mine. Like, I'd like you to stop because you're making us look really bad. Mm. Um, But you're still part of the family. Mm. Um, And so I think I've had less of those experiences. And thankfully, at times when I faced a lot of questions, when I um, felt lost or felt like there weren't answers, um, I've had people around me who are comfortable with that. Um, I both sought that out and people have offered it. Um, everything from you know coming into your office and in high school and you know bringing up questions of you know providence and and, and prophecy and you know what the Holy Spirit looks like to an you know overly academic high schooler, um, you know to you know parents and, and and church leaders. And so I think one of the things I've heard in friends' narratives when they um, have chosen to walk away from their faith was that kind of pushing away of, of, of questions. Mm. Um, I know a lot of people who have found people to ask those questions and then find themselves in a place of agnosticism or kind of uh, uncertainty. Um, but I've, I personally found in kind of the sample size of one, uh, the plural of, of uh, anecdote is not data, mm. but uh, in my, my anecdotal experience, the thing that tends to push young people away most is um, not being able to provide strong, robust answers, um, mm. whether that's teachers, you know, breaking out Aquinas and being like, all right, here's the five traditions for understanding, you know, politics, or here's the, you know, the three major Christian branches understanding of, you know, Christ's life. Is it, you know, are we going to emphasize, you know, the kingship? Are we going to emphasize the sacrificial lamb or the the, the prophet? Um, and so I've, I've been blessed for people to 
provide robust frameworks. Um, and so keep me on that journey um, that even if I'm not satisfied with the answers I've found, that I know that those answers still worth testing. Yeah, that's awesome. Let me shift gears a little bit. Um, do, how do you identify yourself um, from a faith perspective? And um, what relevance do you think it has for your generation? I'm kind of curious what are the values, the virtues, the ethics of uh, this disdained group of people called millennials? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and give, give us a little bit of an insight. I know you've thought deeply about your generation and, and you know, adulting and growing up. Uh, so give us a little bit of an insight as to what do you think are the virtues and the values, the ethics, the creeds, the, the ways in which you frame your existence and your place in this world and um, what does that mean, or how does that interrelate with your faith journey? Sure. Um, so I think the, the, the first question is probably easier than the, the second question on, on millennials, because um, I'm an expert on myself and not of my generation. <laughs> um, I'm not sure I'm an expert on myself, but the, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I think, so I, I'd say I'm a Christian, um, depending on who's asking the question. Um, you know, that may be like, I'm a, a questioning Christian or I'm a, you know, Christian with a lot of questions or, you know, if it's like someone who's like, what's your, you know, well, I grew up Presbyterian, like depending on how insider baseball we're getting, like, you know, I grew up Presbyterian, but, you know, tend to ascribe to more Catholic social thought understandings of the church's mission. Um, so we'll kind of nuance it that way. For my personal life, um, I think it has varied on how much it's a day-to-day um reality a day-to-day kind of constant thought um i went to a christian college which will kind of uh, color the next part of this answer for millennials um and so there was a baseline understanding of the community that is you're most likely comfortable with or a part of um protestant faith tradition mm. uh, and so it'll be interesting as i continue to exist, you know, after being in Christian schools for basically six years, two years of high school and and four years of college, um, how my relationship to that idea uh, or that that reality continues to change. Um, So I think it comes up um, in the sense of, I think it's central to my identity and and particularly the baseline values of what I see as good behavior. Like I'm disappointed in myself often when I fail to meet the kind of visions for what life should be like of how I should act towards other of, you know, I think even like, you know, uh, if I'm disappointed in the way I've treated people, it tends to come from uh, the, the framework based in that tradition I grew up with. Mm. And so I think that's the way it comes up with most day to day. The way that it comes up most day to day is um, disappointment or framework for how what is the correct action uh, and kind of those underlying base values that everyone kind of walks around with when you hear a story your emotional reaction is usually colored by some baseline values of uh, what's good and evil what's a valuable action you know um how and some of that's cultural some of that's you know value based so i think that's probably where it comes up most day to day moving on from my personal kind of identification to uh the question of millennials what relevance does it have? So there's, there's kind of the answer of what relevance does it have to most people insofar as what do they think about it? How do they relate to the idea of Christianity? What associations do they have with Christianity? Um, and then is it, you know, is it relevant? Is there going to be a second great awakening? Um, I don't know. Um, to, to kind of 
both of those questions. Mm. My sense, which is, again, anecdotal, um, is there are... There's an understand. I think a growing understanding that you have to have some set of values. You have to have some framework to understand life. Um, and I think one of the many reasons, one of the many challenges facing this generation is, as collectively as the majority, as a lot of people walk away or rethink their association with traditional sources of value frameworks. Mm. Um, you know, what comes next? Um, and I think, I think there's some understanding that you have to, you know, you, ha- you have to have some framework to make the hard decisions. You have to, you know, at the end of the day, what tends to give people, you know, peace, satisfaction, um, you know, doesn't kind of send you into an existential spiral is, you know, I I believe I have these things that I believe are true, or I think my life will have value if I choose X. Um, and some people choose to kind of like I'm going to make my own meaning, and this is just purely meaningful to me. Um, but but I do feel like there is a understanding amongst young people that you know you have to have an answer, um, or you will live an answer if you do not choose consciously to have one. Um, you know, I don't want to overplay that card, but I do think that's underlying. And I feel like Christianity has relevance as, you know, it is a, it's existed for, you know, 2,000 years at least, you know, farther if we're, you know, c- counting, you know, the Jewish people as, uh, as our, our brothers and sisters and ancestors in this tradition. Um, and And so... It's got a lot of smart people who've thought real deeply about these questions, and some of their answers I don't like. Some of their answers I think are wrong, um, you know. But it is a rich trove of understanding, um, and I think I'm, I'm framing this primarily as a, as a narrative or a framework, um, and I do mean that as like ontological questions of what is life, what is the world, where do we come from, you know, what is the true nature of existence. Um, you know, I think that is what I'm getting at. I think when I talk about millennials, I'm thinking more of there has to be an ethical framework, and what an ethical framework is built on is you know questions of epistemology, questions of ontology. Eventually, you just kind of gotta believe something, whether or not that's you know how that comes to you from personal experience or or philosophy. You gotta build it from something. Um, you know, a belief in you know the kind of the classical package of you know all knowing, all good, all powerful deity is is one way to get there, um, and so I think that's one way Christian or our young people may see it as relevant. Um, we meandered there a little bit. Do you want me to try to like you know summarize back up again? Well, I actually very much appreciate that response. Um, not not so much. Um, because I think you've provided an answer, as you've already said, you know, you're, you're providing a perspective, but you, you're actually giving the answer by the way in which you're answering the question. What I mean by that is you're, you have, um, and this is why I think having a conversation with you is so great. You're, you're in some ways in a, a walking advertisement for really solid Christian education environment, you know, right? Because, <laughs> I mean, listen to your answer. You're talking about providing meaning and a framework and engaging in ontology and epistemology. It's like, what, what young person talks like this? And, but at the same time, 
So I guess what I'm, I'm saying is that there's this beautiful partnership between the environment in which you were raised, as long as it was a good environment that allowed for those questions, those tensions, and, and for your engagement, and just the person of who you are. So those two things put together. And I, I feel like, I, I guess I feel the tragedy that it seems to exist in so many places is that there are so many of us, um, I, maybe I shouldn't even say so many, maybe I should be a little bit more audacious. All of us wrestle with these questions and we want some sort of emotional and intellectual engagement. And because in some circles, Christianity is providing a framework that has the answer rather than having a context in which you can be safe wrestling with the questions. Um, so many are jettisoning their faith. Like, well, well, if you guys have the answer, um, I'm going to go somewhere else because I have deeper questions, right? And so what you've just provided, actually, I think is a great answer to the question, not just in what you said, but in that you said it. Sure. Does, that, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a walk-in, talking advertisement for Christian liberal arts education. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're... No, I think... I think Westmont.edu. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, no, I, I think it's... I, I exactly. I, I come from both. You know, my father's a lawyer. I'm used to arguing. I'm used to thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, logically. I chose to go to a you know liberal arts college, which is you know has basis in philosophy and you know all the different disciplines and the life of the mind and uh, all of this stuff. And so I think there's a understandable emotional reaction against kind of the absolutism. I think maybe as we get back to um, what I liked, what I didn't like about uh, kind of you know Christian churches or, or Christian colleges. Um, but I, but the wonderful thing about Westmont is a lot of professors have a certain ep, kind of epistemic humility. Like you can only know so much. You know, I've got the answer. I think it's logically consistent. I've got some problems with it. Here it is. Um, you know, and I think that's the way when I try to go to a church that I maybe don't always agree with, or I'm trying to, you know, I'm abroad. I'm going to celebrate with a, a you know tradition that isn't as comfortable to me, or um, maybe diverts in some places. Is okay. This is a you know. A well thought out answer, you know, perhaps it isn't the answer I, I think is is right, um, but kind of respecting that, like, um, you know, I th- that that's the wonderful thing about going to the the places I have. It's you know, you know, like you know, I think at one point someone said, "It's like, look, everyone's got questions." You know, like very few people, you know, you get to even even people on their deathbed have you know that kind of those moments of you know, did did I believe right? And I think you know, going back to the beginning of what has kept me in the tradition is adults being vulnerable of yeah that sticks in my gra too like mm-hmm. you know like the first time i brought up like so um won't name names but there was a, a teacher a while back uh where i like i basically brought up like problem of evil uh in like a bible class or whatever and he gave a really like unsatisfactory answer like not just like this wasn't satisfying to me it was just that's not even like logically consistent all the way through and you're like mad at me for not accepting this mm-hmm. Um, like but, here's the pat Christian answer, yeah. Like and you should just like here's the track, the and I was like the track. I was like, okay, like so one. Let's just back way up. Like problem of evil is just hugely emotionally relevant. It's so difficult. It like you know it breaks your heart. It should make you cry. Like it sucks. Like just straight up, life can be terrible. People can be terrible. Like let's grieve and understand this. Um, so one, your delivery was to- like not your, but the person's delivery <laughs> was totally off. Um, you know. And, and but then the first time I was like, yeah, like that keeps me up at night. Like I can give you the answer that I have, but like no, this probably won't be totally satisfying. Mm. Um, and we can do our best to find a logically consistent answer with the things you believe. 
Um, but like, it's okay that it's like, yes, you're right. You know, this is a, a one of the hardest parts of our, our tradition. Like, like I'm just gonna like like show me my hand. We're not playing poker here. Here's the cards. It's hard. It's difficult. We can think through it together. Um, but I think that's the kind of vulnerability that keeps people in conversation. So you're giving me a lot of hope here because it feels um, that there sometimes is a stereotypical generational divide that uh, maybe perhaps on both ends of the of the spectrum that older people are old and set in their ways. And that young people feel like they know everything. So I, I want to kind of push you a little bit. You mentioned this word, epistemic humility, which I think is just fantastic. Um, do you feel like that's actually growing? Like there's more, apparently in your circles that you run, you had a wonderful group of people, both old and young, who exemplified this epistemic humility and the ability to hold things in tension and recognize that absolutism is is the you know, the opposite of being intellectually honest and, and things like that. Uh, I'm just kind of curious. Do you feel like that's growing? Is that something that is spreading? Is that, um, I, I, you know, yeah, I, 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 have, I, have, I have a sampling a, problem kind of here. Because, right, I recognize like, <laughs> you're not a demographer. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, you know, I think the, the idea of, like, being a little bit uncertain about what you know, um, I think that's kind of in the cultural milieu um, hmm. in a certain way. Um, and I think there's a reaction against that, and sometimes an understandable reaction against the kind of we can't know anything angle of things, or the kind of right. full the pendulum, the kind other of way. full postmodernism. You know, everything is you know our we imprint value on things. There's nothing out there, kind of. Um, and I understand the kind of desire to swing back the other way, or that humans react against extremes. You know, it's it's a pattern. So I think that's certainly out there. Um, you know. I I don't think, you know, I don't think we should get go either way. I don't think we say we don't have any answers. Like, you know, I think honest belief at the end at, at some point is is a worthwhile exercise. Um, and so, you know, it, it, you know, I think I think at some point you you do have to say like this is the answer. And I think it's right. Like I'm making a truth claim. Um, but I think you know. Uh, so I think that's in the milieu. I think that that kind of epistemic humility. Um, I think at two Christian colleges I have decent contacts at, which is are Wheaton and Westmont, um, you know, which are prestigious, but they're again a very small sample. Um, there's a sense of that, um, particularly amongst academics, because academics do research all day and are taught to be humble about their knowledge and are proved wrong consistently. And, you know, they read a bunch of really smart people and, you know, will actually, you know, he, I think he's wrong. And so they're, they're used to kind of having, um, having that. So I think that's really all I can say with any certainty. Yeah. Um, I do think, I think there's a different question of like, of when you get people down and like sit them down across the table, how much are they totally set in things? Um, you know, I think actually there is a really strong, People on all, on, on all areas actually probably have a couple things they fundamentally hold deeply within them, um, and are just not willing to touch. Yeah. And that I think that's the, that's been my my lived experience is if you sit someone down and you're like, why do you value the idea of freedom? Like it often comes down to this is what my family believed. I respected my father. You know he lived a happy life and I think that's what led it or my experiences have you know I, I adopted that at a young age and as a combination of you know rational inquiry and just 
you know, filtering things that, that agree with me, I have decided this is the principle. Um, and so I don't think there's a great, like, you know, mass movement of, like, we're all just, you know, out here to have good dialogue and conversation. The one thing I, I have found interesting, which is tangential to this, um, is as there is a cultural moment of how do we communicate across what are some things called tribes or in-groups um, or, you know, who er, groups of people who have different experiences and baseline values. How do we communicate effectively and truthfully across that? Mm. Um, I actually think, you know, we can have a whole podcast together on media criticism, and that would be a whole lot of fun. But... Um, I think there are. I listen to a lot of journalists. I, I have a lot, one of my. I'm a big podcast listener. And if you actually sit down with you know the people who run the Post or the Times or whatever, the reporters on the ground, they are honestly grappling with, okay, how do we communicate? Like we actually do believe that some things are true, um, whether or not we believe like ontological truth. But we do believe like we. They, they, they don't always go down down that deep. But I think they're assuming that there is communicatable truth, and it's worth communicating. It's worth getting across. Um, and I do think there's a lot of people who are in communication roles um, who are being really thoughtful at this moment of, well, how do we now operate here? You know, there's a lot of great things about democratization of media. You know, there's a lot of dangerous things about how the Internet plays with, you know, our biases in, in media consumption. Um, and so I do think there's some humility in that. Whether or not there's humility about whether or not everyone's going to, you know, suddenly wake up one day and say, I don't know anything and start, you know, go into the synagogues for answers. Um, I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> well, regardless, I think your response, at least for me, is very, very hopeful. Um, you know, the academy is not always uh, known for being a place of epistemic humility, right? I mean, the more you know, the more you think that you know, there's, there's uh, kind of that biblical axiom that knowledge puffs up. And so academicians sometimes get that uh Stereotype, sure. deserved or undeserved, but nonetheless, that, so that you tell me two very prestigious institutions, Westmont and, and Wheaton, um, that your experience has been that there's a there's a good, uh, healthy sense of humility, intellectual humility is is really very hopeful, and that there are people uh, coming up under these institutions, learning, growing, being mentored, and 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 uh, getting their education under that. I think is very very hopeful sure. and i appreciate your tempered response regarding our culture because it's i mean I, i'm asking the question a little bit of a in a, a leading sort of way it's like andrew give me give me some hope here <laughs> but i recognize I, I really appreciate your your kind of tempered perspective on that because there isn't uh one real strong movement in any one direction we have all these tricklings in a lot of different directions and the hope and the prayer i guess for me is that people like yourself, that your tribe would increase, right? People mm -hmm. who hold to some sense of intellectual humility, but yet some very core deep values that are important for uh, faith, for humanity, for our country, for our nation, for our politics, for you know our, our social institutions and stuff like that. So it's it's very it's actually very encouraging. I'm, I'm doing this podcast really for my own uh, psychological health here right now. So, well, uh, yeah. next time I'll, I'll bring some tea and we'll uh, yeah. we'll we'll talk a little little deeper. Can't speak for UCLA on the epistemic <laughs> yes. humility question. I, I hear sure. her Berkeley profs get a bad lap. Oh, probably yeah. some of it's deserved. Oh. Um, okay, let me let me shift gears and we'll close with this. You have a podcast called The Launch Sequence, I and uh, I will tell you, it's uh, I have 
I rarely laugh out loud at podcasts, and there are moments in your podcast where I just have lost it. It's just, just been so funny and insightful and witty, and of course, it's the kind of humor that uh, doesn't stem out of uh, fabricated jokes. It, it's the kind of humor that stems out of very real-life circumstances <laughs> and experiences, you know, like saying, you know, uh, here's what your degree is worth, you know, and I think Micah said something like, that's presuming my degree is worth anything yeah, or something. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, so I have two questions for you. What are you hoping to accomplish through your podcast? I mean, you're you're also now creating, you're producing, you're you're putting content out in the world. I'm just kind of curious. What do you think your hope, your goal is in that? What do you what do you hope to accomplish in that? And then second, and not as important, why have you chosen a comedy format for your podcast? <laughs> well, um, I think there's there's the like. Um, Andrew uh, as his best self answer that question, and Andrew as not always his best self answer that question. Um, the best self answer is uh, I, although there's actually I found a couple more now, but there's a, there weren't a lot of podcasts by young people, kind of for young people and their parents, or kind of like the generation who wants to understand them. Um, I almost saw it as as, and this goes to the comedy question, but I almost saw it as comfort as. Mm-hmm. Um, we're with you too. It's it's confusing. It's new. Like life's hard. You know. Uh, you know. Um, and I wanted to reflect thoughtfully with my my good friend and co-host Mike Anthony, who's my roommate for years, because we would you know spend many nights you know just talking about things, talking, reflecting, seeing what we saw, um, and over the dinner table just kind of try to make our friends laugh. Um, I've always found humor to be one of the best ways to bridge gaps. Um, I have always, almost often used humor either as a teenager to prevent myself from getting kicked out of the house when I pissed off my parents, uh, or to, um, to, you know, cement connection. People, you know, I think humor is often based off of difficult or um, absurd things like, uh, you know, the, the kind of the low level suffering that can be kind of life sometimes. Um, and humor allows us to share and empathize and say, hey, look, I'm here too. Like, you know, it's, it's life rough. Like, you know, like, let's laugh it out and keep going with a smile on our face. It's a way to relieve stress. Uh, so I wanted to create a podcast that captured that kind of uh, slightly uh, irreverent uh, commentary uh, that my, my friend and I did. Also, I've had a lot of conversations with parents and friends and uncles uh, over the dinner table, trying to reflect on, hey, look, here's where I've been. Like, here's how you can talk to those people better. Here's how you can understand them more. Um, my mother has always been really lovely um, about trying to understand and listen whenever I kind of go off on my soapbox. Like, you know, you don't understand. This is what it's like to be a kid nowadays. This is what it was like to be a high schooler. Um, you know, and she was gracious and accepting that feedback. And I thought that would be valuable information to have like i think one of the one of the sections i was most proud of in our our first one was here's how to ask better questions of kids when they come back from breaks like Mm -hmm. every kid is so done asking like where are you going to college like are you in high school like how to you know how to invite adults into better conversation with with young people uh, and so that's what I hope the the podcast is. Now, the the Andrew on his best day is uh, I was a you know college student looking to apply to podcast and was like, hey yo, I should probably figure out if I like this at all um, and what it takes to actually do this. Um, 
this would be a good thing to have on my resume. So I'm going to start this and see like if I can make it work. Um, and also it's a way to get Mike and me in a room uh, once a week and talk about life and uh, love and loss and all yeah. of those things. That's awesome. Andrew, thanks so much for taking some time. And I really appreciate, I appreciate our friendship and our conversations and I appreciate who you are and what you're doing. Uh, I really appreciate the podcast actually. And your response actually endears me even more to it. Um, your empathy and your compassion for this crazy world that we're living in is just so endearing to me. So, uh, uh, in Hebrew, we would say kolakovot. All of the honor to you for your work and your existence. Um, and thanks for sharing a little bit with uh, our Sparkcast audience. We really yeah. appreciate it. Well, this has been the Sparkcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks. We're done.